Welcome to another edition of Wise Up, the podcast featuring yours truly, Brad Wise, and my partner here, Marcus Lee. Marcus, say hello this morning. What's going on? You know my motto, it's time to rock and roll. Yes, indeed. We have analytics that show that some people are interested in this podcast and are watching it, and for that, we are very grateful. And today is the podcast I don't want to do. Marcus and I have gone back and forth on doing a origin story on both of us, and quite frankly, I'm uncomfortable with it because I don't see how my background has brings anyone any value. And I called Marcus this morning, and just it was on my heart. I was like, "Why is my history, my background, how is that going to help someone personally and professionally?" Because that is the p- purpose of this podcast is to cut out all the crap and get right to the the directives and the takeaways of just things that we have learned that we know works and that we want to tell the world. Before you answer that, Marcus, I'm exhausted. This week, I've spent so much time trying to save people from themselves. Um, Maybe four or five times this this week, I have people that are on fire, and I'm holding a bucket of water, and they will not accept that bucket of water. So it's a little exhausting, and uh, not going to get into the details of those things, but this is the whole purpose of this podcast is to hopefully get that exposure of tools, learning, books, audio books, podcasts, things like that that have just some amazing um, elements to them that help people personally and professionally. So, Marcus, tell me how my background is going to help someone. We talk about it all the time. You know, when we give the analogy of, like, the weight loss journey, you see the guy who talks about how he lost 150 pounds, right? So here, you being successful... I'm trying to reach the same level of success that you have. I think it's a perfect contrast for our audience to understand how authentic, how real, how true, and just really understanding everything that you did and everything that I'm currently going through to help us reach those highest levels of success. So instead of, you know, celebrating and telling everybody at the championship party how we won it, let's just take them through game by game, day by day. Okay, so you're saying it brings credibility. We have by people listening to this podcast, it would bring us some credibility. I see what you're saying there. Um, not our entire listening audience is in the automobile business, and that was important to me too. That this not be too automobile related, where I'd like to cast a wider net to attract people from all sorts of industries, but especially people in sales, this, this podcast will really benefit those. So I understand what you're saying. And uh, I wouldn't say that my story is a story of, you know, triumph from struggle, you know, like a lot of interesting stories of people that we've already talked about on the podcast, where they came from poor childhoods, terrible, you know, experiences to come out of that fire and reign supreme. Um, I guess we'll get into it. I was uh, I was raised in a very rural area. My parents moved from the big city when I was in first grade to a very small town in uh, Illinois, farming town. Uh, friends were very more miles and miles away, so I had a lot. Of, spent a lot of time by myself, finding my own fun motorcycles, so on and so forth. 
But something that is a, from a very young age that I always had in me, and I don't know where it came from, and I'd love to know where it came from, is that I've always wanted to improve myself at things. I was a college baseball player. I played baseball my whole life. I was an athlete in a lot of sports, but baseball was my thing. And I made it uh, all the way to college level, played for one of the best baseball programs in the United States, played for two uh, NCAA Hall of Fame coaches, and that, co- those, that exposure to those coaches has really served me. Two of the most successful NCAA college baseball coaches in the country, both in the Hall of Fame, I had the privilege to play for them, and two completely different styles. We'll talk about that. One of them was a complete no-nonsense. If you broke a rule, you paid dearly for it. And uh, one of the rules, uh, if it was broken, your name was written on an index card on its door in his office. If your name was on it, you were the lucky member of the 50-lap club. And that meant that you had to go to the baseball field at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning and run 50 laps around the baseball field while the coach sat there in the dugout with his coffee and his cigarettes and counted every goddamn mile. No nonsense. As a matter of fact, you had to have a certain haircut to play there. You had to go to the barber, and you had to say you wanted a Marietta baseball Haircut, the Shally cut. The coach's name was Don Shally, so you had to do that. You had to wear your stirrups or socks a certain way. There was no individual, oh, I like, I'm going to celebrate my fashion, you know, facial hair and wear my socks. There's none of that shit going on. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't even allow the bus driver to turn their windshield wipers on when it was raining on the way to a away game because it would encourage the rain. How about that one, Marcus? Crazy, right? So, so I've been accused of being uh, not tolerant a lot, no nonsense, and I think I get that from him. But then I played for a coach at a different college who <clears throat> I remember one day we were practicing indoors at a gymnasium, pitching off of wooden mounds because this is Illinois where, you know, where it's cold. And uh, I was throwing fastballs in my Forgive me if you're not into sports, why well, I digress, but I was throwing these fastballs that were tailing down and in. It's called a heavy fastball. It's a fastball that goes about 86 miles an hour, and it just sinks a little bit. You get a lot of ground balls that way. And then he was looking at that, and he was impressed by the movement on my fastball. And then, he, then I was throwing some breaking balls, some curveballs, and they were terrible. They were just hangers. That was always my pitch. I couldn't really pitch uh, throw very well. So he was watching and watching, and then he had his arms folded as he's watching, and I'm nervous because he's such a famous coach, and he turns around and walks away. And then he turns around, and he goes, Brad, he said, your sinker is every bit as good as a major league baseball player. In fact, your sinker is just as good as Steve Trout's, who was a famous Chicago White Sox, Chicago Cubs pitcher. Then he turns around and walks away. Then he says, and his curveball sucked. And that was his way of saying, you know, it's okay. You got that good pitch. You're going to get better with that other pitch. So two contrasting styles that really formed, I think, me as a leader. Some, In fact, if I wasn't in the automobile business, if I wasn't um, a general manager and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be in the car business, I think I would have chose a path of being a coach. Um, I would have loved to have stayed at the same school for 
X amount of years and they named the field after me and give me a, a watch and blah, blah, blah. I would have really enjoyed seeing different teams come in every four years and different kids and seeing how they blossom into adults and following their paths for their whole lives and, and having an impact, you know, so that's what we're all about. So anyway, small town, I'm going to go through this fast because, you know, I really don't even want to do this. Small town athlete. When I got out of school, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was a shy kid living in an apartment that was so hot that if you left milk out in a glass all night, it would turn to cream. And it just so happened that the general manager at the car dealership, local car dealership, went to the same college I did. And guess what he did? He played baseball, too, for the same coach. And guess what position? He was a pitcher. And another person that lived in the same apartment as me, and I was his friend, worked in the parts department. He said, hey, man, you ought to come down to the Bill Jacobs Chevrolet in Joliet, Illinois, because the general manager played baseball at the same college you did. So you know what I did? I went down there. And like most car dealerships, they hire you in five minutes. And after I told him who I was and he called the baseball coach, you know, it, you know, it wasn't hard to get a job selling cars in 1988. So I got a job at the car dealership. He liked me. He's been, he's been a mentor of mine. I have a picture of him on my wall in my office. If you say anything about bad about Jerry Mutz, I will hit you in the head with a tire iron. Okay. That's the kind of impact leader I want to be. I want to be, I want somebody to have my picture hanging on their wall someday, not because of ego, but because of the influence and the impact that that person made in their life. So slowly but surely I became a fantastic salesperson, became the number one salesperson there in very short order, became a very young sales manager, became a very young GSM, became a very young GM. And I thought I would stay there my entire career and retire there. That was my blueprint. And it didn't work out that way. The owner passed away. The place was kind of up for grabs. Uh, the people that took over uh, the dealership at that point, uh, they didn't like me and I didn't like them. We parted ways and I moved to uh, Michigan and had a, just a tremendous experience there dealing with a, a sales team that needed some polishing. And I, my, my skills were put to test and we accomplished some amazing, great things over there. I really appreciate my time there. I really love the people there. I appreciated the organization for giving me the opportunity to do, do my own thing and do whatever I needed to do with freedom. And then I made my way here to Tampa, Florida. Um, there's a lot, and we could go on for hours on how I ended in Tampa. But again, it's, I don't know how useful it is to people. It's, it's, it's a great story, but this isn't, you know, a fiction novel. This is a takeaway. So I've been somebody that's been interested in constant improvement my whole life, and it has served me. I'm very conscientious about my reputation, and uh, due to my sports background, uh, due to the fact that a lot of people have helped me along the way, I feel like I'm the luckiest man in the world. And when Lou Gehrig gives that speech in the Yankee Stadium where today, 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 I consider, 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 consider myself the luckiest man in the world, I really do. I sit here in front of you, Marcus, before you tell your story today with humbleness and gratitude to be at a dealership that's located in the Las Vegas Boulevard of all dealerships. The number one Ford dealer in the United States of America is across the street. The number one GMC dealer in America is right across the street. One of the top five Honda and Toyota dealerships are right across the street. 
I work for an organization, Furman Chevrolet Mazda, Furman Motor Car Company. That's one of the oldest dealerships in the United States of America. 127 years in business. Think about the wars, the economy, the meltdowns that have gone, the crises that the Furman organization has weathered to stay in business 127 years. I'm really proud of that. It is amazing. It's a family-owned operation, unlike nowadays when all these corporations are buying dealerships and sucking the life and soul out of them. We still have a dealership like this that lets the general managers be creative, that lets them try things, lets them fail or succeed on their own terms, on their own ideas. And what more can you ask for? Because, Marcus, I know tons of great people in the car business that, can't, that aren't allowed to make any decisions. And that's sad. And I feel for those folks, really good people. So I just feel so blessed to see the progress that we've made here in the last five years. We've almost tripled our sales volume. Our service department is just on fire from all the units in operation. We have a great culture. This is the most depth of talent I've ever worked with. And we've worked hard to get that through massive recruiting. And you're one of those people that we recruited from out of state that we'll have another podcast on how to recruit people through social media, which we've done. We're achieving incredible results, results that even I think uh, the owner didn't even think were possible. And we talked about progress equaling happiness. I mean, there's just progress everywhere in my life. And I'm so grateful and humbled by that. And before I turn it over to you, Marcus, I just want to say that the thing I'm most um, happy about is my family. I have a lovely smart, talented, confidant wife, who's such a confidant to me that I wouldn't be half the man I am if it weren't for her, and a beautiful, blossoming woman daughter who's 15 years old, Emily. And she is just an amazing kid. And I can't, I'm just eating popcorn right now, just waiting to see what kind of an adult she's going to be. She is going to kill life and be a fulfilled person if I have anything to do with it. And you know me, yeah, I like to preach and the last person who wants to listen to me is a 15-year-old girl. <laughs> so there's challenges that are involved with that. So every night I, I, every night I say my blessings. And um, I guess that's, uh, in a nutshell, anything that's pertinent to my background. Marcus, uh, there may be some similarities between you and I. We're, you're a lot younger than I am, so you probably have a different spin on it. And I'm sure that the, the listeners out there that are diverse in their in their backgrounds or age might uh, get some value out of uh, your background. Go ahead, Marcus. Tell me about it. Yeah, so to sum up my entire my entire journey is try things, know exactly what you want your life to look like, you know, understand that, you know, failure is part of your success and part of your story and never give up. So, you know, I'm raised a uh, small town right outside of Philadelphia um, in New Jersey, actually, called Pensgrove, New Jersey. It's literally nobody heard of it. It's a small town, you know, country town of only like 4,000 people. And like all we really know is go to school. And when you get out of school, go get a job at a warehouse. So and I knew that like that was something easy for me to accomplish. Right. And I just. Even in school, I always tried to do things just totally different. I would get picked on my entire life of, you know, by just being 
totally different than what the norm is, you know, whether it was something that I wanted to wear or something that I wanted to do, you know, I can go all the way back to fourth grade and, you know, with clip art, you know, when that first came out and I found myself putting a magazine together with all of the younger guys in my grade and they played sports and just kind of recapping all the current events. And it was just always trying to think outside of the box and do some things that, you know, that we didn't really have access to. Like we didn't have access to sports magazines and stuff like that. So I was like, hey, let me create my own. So my entire life, my entire journey has been predicated off of creating something that I knew that my people should benefit from, you know. So after getting out of high school, I was pretty much faced with the decision to go off to college. You know, I was a great student, you know, like school was something, you know, I found myself like a serial learner. Like I took honors classes, you know, I, I didn't play with school at all. Like I honestly didn't take it as serious as I should because I really didn't have anyone in my corner besides my mother that was, you know, really pushing me. So, you know, with your peers and everything, you get distracted. <coughs> you 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 find yourself at 15, 16 years old trying to fit in. So I, I didn't give it 120%, which I knew that was super important. So I'm faced with the decision to go away for college or stay home and, you know, explore like one of our local community college at that time, I just didn't have any courage. I, I wasn't, you know, brave, didn't know, like, exactly what that looked like. Hey, leaving my town, leaving my family, and, you know, just being out on my own. So especially at 18 years old, that was, like, a lot to swallow. But I always had, you know, the mindset of just being innovative and creative and things like that. So I, I did, you know, enroll into the local community college, um, and I literally just took courses that I – really felt as though I could benefit from, you know, for the rest of my life. So I found myself taking a lot of management courses, a lot of marketing courses, a lot of business courses, because I knew truly I wanted to be a successful entrepreneur. I just didn't want to be the norm waking up, going to work and, you know, just surviving. I, I wanted to really truly live. So my first business venture was something that I drew up you know, literally on a napkin in a restaurant, it was it was a sneaker store called The Locker Room. That was the first ever business venture that I was a part of. And that actually set the tone for my career because that was a store that I helped create in my, in my hometown. So I had the support of my hometown. Everybody knew exactly who I was. They wanted to support myself, you know, the store. We were constantly growing. Um, and one of the business partners that I partnered with, and I, I talked about this on a previous podcast, he literally, you know, was telling me, hey, you're only good, you're only successful at selling things because you know these people. And at that point, I really didn't know what that me meant, but I knew that it would, you know, it fired me up. So there I just started to continue to try different things. I wanted to sell to people that didn't look like me, that didn't know me. So after, you know, starting my the sneaker business, that venture where I was pretty much like an entrepreneur, um, still had a job because I like wasn't a tangible owner in it. It was just more of like my intellectual property, which I learned, you know, years later that I actually should have benefited from that financially, like in some type of forms of royalty and stuff like that. And that's that's really a part of my journey. It was nobody there to give me a blueprint. I just had to figure it out, learn, fail, try things on my own. And 
And to me, that's like one of the things that I'm super thankful for is like literally falling on my face over and over and over, but constantly getting back up. So, you know, after we pretty much parted ways, we had, you know, a couple conflicts that just forced me to walk away from, you know, something that was my baby. I truly built from the ground up myself. Um, I found myself going right to work at Foot Locker just because I was still into, you know, the sneakers, the whole culture and selling things like that. And I found myself successful in that industry instantly. And that was all predicated off of what I did years prior. So you never know exactly where you're going to be headed, you know, in your life. Just know everything that you've been through pretty much prepares you for that next opportunity, whether you know it or not. So I was super successful working in the Foot Locker industry. Um, actually became, you know, a, a manager within like six months after my performance, was able to lead a team and uh, take this store to the next level. It became, I want to say, the number one volume footlocker in the state of Delaware. Um, so this was pretty powerful. Another one of the accomplishments. And, you know, I just continued, you know, that journey. A lot of things, you know, didn't work out for me once, like at footlocker, I started to look at, you know, advancing and just thinking that that my whole life was you know surrounded around like sneakers and then one day as I'm growing older it's like I, I know I'm a little bit better than this like my mindset and just the conversation that I was having was was way more in depth than just talking about sneakers and clothes all day so that's where I you know just took some time off um went back into like my entrepreneurial journey um I was literally trying everything from landscaping to um, car washes, like you name it. Like it was, it was nothing that I wasn't doing at this period of time in my life. And at that point, I, I labeled myself as successful. I felt as though I was a successful individual, but I didn't realize that I was really like running myself thin. I was doing so many things um, and pretty much getting just the same result. It wasn't taking me to no no level at all. I was just, you know, up one day, you know, a couple thousand dollars down the next day. So it was just over and over. And I'm thinking I got it figured out, but, you know, not not truly, you know, but that still just kept me going, kept me fired up. And then at a certain point, I'm like, this entrepreneurial journey must not be for me. I'm not getting to that million dollars fast enough. So it's it actually forced me to look at you know, just going back to work. And this is probably one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, at this point, I was just just ready ready to throw the towel in. I'm working at Wendy's. I was cool with it. I didn't think anything of it. it. It was fun for me. It was something that I did when I was like 15, 16 years old working in fast food. I'm like, you know what? This is. I just want to be a regular guy. I, I I don't want these big dreams. And I, I was literally ready to quit at this point in like 2017, 2018. Um, and then somehow I got a phone call from this dealership saying, that, hey, they were interested in me. I didn't even know that I applied for a dealership or anything. I never thought about car sales. So I, it was maybe weeks gone by. I'm just ignoring the call like you know just like what, what does these people want like I can't sell a car I just was not truly believing in my own ability uh so just one day I just went down there and just sat and talked with them you know I remember borrowing um pair of slacks a pair of shoes and a tie for my brother just because I, I wasn't even used to you know any type of corporate structure or anything 
Um, so he gave me that. He's a college grad, so he's the only one in the family to even have a tie and, you hmm. know, a shirt, a pair of pants. So it's, and he, he actually, to this day, he still wants it back, but I, I consider it my lucky tie. <laughs> the whole outfit I still got, I'll probably put it in glass one day. So um, as I go to the interview, um, this whole position was for a brand ambassador. And the brand ambassador position it was something that I... I pretty much heard about my entire life, and it was honestly a position that I always wanted to be a part of. I always wanted to be a part of, like, a major brand and just represent this brand and, you know, be on TV commercials and things like that. So this was a brand ambassador position, and my only responsibility for this dealership was to come in two times a week, take videos and photos of their inventory, and just blast it on Facebook. I didn't think nothing of it. They were going to pay me for every video that I posted. So I'm like, look, I can make a couple hundred bucks, you know, a few times a week. This will at least pay for my gas. Um, and the first video that I did, viral wasn't even a, like, that wasn't a term at the time. But this video did maybe five to 6,000, like, views off of one video. Um, and I was just getting a lot of congratulations. People just thought that I was actually a car salesman in the industry. And all I was doing was just posting inventory. So um, the director of Facebook, Kobe Fryer, um, at Matt Black Mitsubishi at this time, he seen the video and just constantly getting all this feedback. And he just came to me one day like, Mark, you ever thought about selling cars? And I told him, nah, I don't think that I can do it. I didn't really believe that I could sell to someone who didn't look like me um, or who was a lot older than me. I was actually still living that same story that, the first business partner told me that I only can sell to people that I know that look like me or interested in the things that I was interested in. So just to kind of speed everything up, I took on the position as a salesperson. Um, they wanted me to pretty much sit behind a computer and like learn and study. And I wasn't opposed to it, but I know in everything that I did in life that helped me to get to the point where, you know, I was confident and ready for, Whatever the next challenge was, was literally just going out in the field, trying it and failing it. So I remember taking my first couple customers and, you know, getting frustrated, not getting a sale. And then Saturday rolled around and I did my first sale. Um, and I actually sold two that day. And then it's just been, you know, a, a crazy career since then. So I spent a few years at Matt Black Mitsubishi. Um, I took a few years off from the industry just because of, you know, just... Something that I always struggled with was, you know, that consistency and that longevity. I always was like one and done with everything that I did. So, you know, I found that this was like an easy victory. I became one of the top salespeople um, at this store. And, you know, I just wanted to try new things. So I found myself starting another business, a, a T-shirt business at the time. I partnered with a couple of local high schools. Um, I got my real estate license. I joined um, city council. Just different ventures like that. I was all over the place again, but, you know, I did have my first taste of, you know, real money, real success, and it was so much information that I, that I learned just being in that automotive industry for about 18 months. <coughs> um, so after, you know, going through some things, I found myself um, right during COVID um, delivering some masks to this dealership in Cherry Hill. It was a guy who's actually he was a top performing salesperson there and we played football together years prior and he just remembered me and 
he knew that I was pretty good in uh, all those sales and was like, yo, whatever it takes, I, I, I want you on my team. Just I just want to give you an opportunity. And at this point, I'm not really thinking, you know, too much of going back into cars. But at that point, I'm like, what do I got to lose? Like, I can, I can multitask, you know, and not even knowing that me getting back into this industry would literally change my life forever because me getting back into this dealership was just like a, a stepping stone. And it's what gave, you know, Mr. Wise the access and Laura Sanchez, who um, I give a lot of credit for recruiting me. That's how I was pretty much founded by getting back into the industry, going back to the basics of posting and, you know, just being a presence on social media and, you know, another favorite story that I tell everyone is I'm on Facebook one day and I get a message from Laura Sanchez like, hey, would you be interested in coming to Tampa? <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't even think this is real. Um, so another one of those things, like you got nothing to lose. Like coming from where I'm from, it's like just go after it. Like don't make excuses. Don't hesitate. Just make it happen. So I remember getting on a flight, coming down to Tampa, you know, just super nervous with really no expectation. Like, I just was like, all right, what do I got to lose here? I'm coming in, and I was got the opportunity. And I remember right from you, Brad, you was like, who wouldn't want to live in paradise? You know, people save up their money every single year just to come out here for a week, and we get to experience it every single day. So... As I went back home, like everything just aligned itself and I was back within like 10 days and I was off to the races, really with no expectation, no vehicle, nothing, just, you know, just all passion, just trying to change, you know, my life, my family's life pretty much forever. And, mm -hmm. you know, to fast forward going from a salesperson to having some controversy at the dealership to getting promoted to finance manager to now being a sales manager is you know, and I still got so much to go. Like, I'm 32 years old, and, you know, like, success to me is just it's all perception. You know, I, like, people may perceive me as successful from, you know, listening to the story of knowing where I came from, but I got a long way to go. So, like, this right here is literally the beginning, and that's why I felt as though, like, doing this podcast here could bring people value just to know that, you know, whatever you take from it, like, everybody has a journey, you know, success is not a destination. It's a it's a constant, you know, journey of of getting better, learning new things. So, you know, if you could take anything from this episode is just keep at it. You know, uh, don't give up. You know, you you never know the opportunity that you miss, you know, and that's normally because you're not prepared. So prepare yourself every single day. Everything that you pretty much been through. It's only preparing you for the next opportunity. And so, like, I feel like I'm, I'm ready for everything that's coming my way because I'm constantly preparing or been prepared for it, you know, years ago when I, you know, was just stumbling around, you know, a small town trying to figure things out. And I see myself in a big city, you know, on, on, a, on a bigger scale, performing at a higher level. And, you know, my life has literally changed 10,000%. The podcast I didn't want to do has now turned on to a fantastic, value-filled podcast. I'll tell you why. Number one, I get to know more about Marcus's story that I didn't know. And 
couple of things. I took some notes from this. Number one, you're a natural and I'm not. But that doesn't mean that we both can't succeed. You have uh, some charisma. You have this chutzpah about you. You have this light that shines on you that worked when you were selling the, at the, the Foot Locker and why all these people tried to lure, your in, lure you into their industry because they, you had that twinkle in your eye. If you were to meet Marcus personally, you immediately would want to light up because he has that kind of personality. I do, don't have any of that. I am not a natural. But what I am is somebody who is a learner, who's a practicer, who's a modeler. I created me. Marcus, you didn't create you. You already are you. But you said yes to everything. If you didn't say yes to these things, if you would have stayed at, at Wendy's and not gone to the car dealership, you wouldn't be here today. Marcus makes more than a doctor. A doctor has hundreds of thousands of school loan debt, and Marcus has no school debt. I got like $5,000. Right. That's what, it. what kind of car do you drive, Marcus? Uh, I got the new Corvette. New okay. Tahoe. So we're not trying to impress you. We're trying to impress upon you that sales is where it's at, Jack. Particularly auto sales has changed Marcus's life. It's changed my life, but you have to get into a good store. And I feel sorry for good people at bad stores with bad cultures because people quit the car business for two reasons, the bad schedule and the bad manager. We eliminate those things because we're trying to attract the very, very best talent that's, all, that's for another podcast, our game plan, as far as that goes. But if you want to get something out of this podcast today, the one I didn't want to do, the origin story, we left a lot out, but we left, we left, we, we, we left a lot in, didn't we, Marcus? Yeah, yeah, that was more than enough. Yeah, there's nothing special about us. You know, we, there isn't. There's nothing special about us. I was an average student, nothing special, no, no special gifts. But what I did have... I practiced, learned, and modeled. And what you did is you said yes to everything, and you had that certain amount of talent. So congratulations, Marcus, for making more, earning more money than a doctor. 100%. Thank you. Congratulations for being 32 years old. That's a blessing every that day. Warren Buffett would give his, all his billions of dollars. He'd write you a check today to get what you have, and that is youth. So fill yourself up with appreciation for that. All the gifts that we have are from the automobile business. God bless the automobile business. I, I have that written down on my desk. I get on my knees and just thank the Lord that somehow on my journey, I was able to bump into the automobile business and it's been nothing but straight up from there. Um, I couldn't even have dreamed the life that I live, where I live. Marcus, did you know I live a four iron from where Tom Brady used to live? There's four Yankees that live by me. The owner of the Bucks lives by me. And you know what? I'm from Big Rock, Illinois. I'm a C student. I got nothing, right? Yeah, I got to get a realtor out there. Right. It's, it, I, I think about it. When I'm walking around the block, I said, I can't believe the... This is, I, I'm, I'm walking right in front of Tino Martinez's house of the New York Yankees. I mean, I never would have, who would have thought that? And there's people out there that have gone to, graduated from, with 10 degrees in engineering and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, I wouldn't last five minutes in doing that. 
But that specialized knowledge pays, doesn't it? 100%. Right? When you, when you work in an industry where you get paid 100% of what you put into it, and that's, that's in sales. And it doesn't mean you have to be this gregarious, unbelievable personality like you have, where I was a shy, kind of small-town boy, afraid of my own shadow. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm, I created this person through, and the confidence that I didn't have, I gained through practice, drilling, and rehearsing, and seeing the results. So there's all kinds of different paths to success. This has been a great podcast. We're hearing your journey, my journey. Um, I'm glad you talked me into doing the podcast that I didn't want to do, the origin story. And uh, please give us a, a rating on Apple. Uh, is there anything else that we're not mentioning in our podcast, Marcus, about leaving reviews or any of that stuff? So why don't you sign us out and give the listeners any kind of reminders that might help us get our message out to more people? Right. So... If you're tuning into our podcast, this is the number one podcast in the nation right now. What? You can check it out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. And the main thing that you can do to help us uh, reach more people so we know that we're adding value to everyone's lives is, you know, try to reshare it. Um, send it out to people that you know that could benefit from it. Um, you know, leave us some reviews. Um, follow us on Spotify you know, ask us some questions, leave some comments and questions, you know, right on the page so we can get back. And we, we really want to interact with you guys and, you know, just truly answer the questions, you know, that you may have. So that's what this podcast is about is, you know, pretty much building value. You know, we want to build value and give you, you know, the access and abilities to make, you know, the best decisions. So, you know, the rest of your life can be the best of your life. Mm, I like that. Send us out. Every Thursday, Wise Up Podcast, Mark Lee and Brad Wise, we're out.